Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I'm your host, as always, Steve Pierce, and I'm joined again, as always, by my valiant uh, and brave co-host, Robbie McCombs. Robert, how do you feel this fine, fine uh, January evening? You know, life's going on, Steve. Um, I think usually <laughs> life's going on. <laughs> I, but usually we record Sunday nights, but uh, some things came up and we happened to decide to record Monday night, which is obviously this come out Tuesday, but right now it's Monday night. But with the news in the BYU basketball world, it looks like may have been a inspired decision to wait to record tonight because it kind of shifted our focus from St. Mary's and in Pacific instead to to sheer hard net, which I think will be the focal point of this podcast. Yes, indeed. This is, we will call this uh, a very special episode of Shut Up and Jimmer. Just like all those uh, after school specials used to have very special episodes that they talk about, they like tell the kids, you know, don't do drugs or whatever. This is a very special episode of Shut Up and Jimmer. Yeah, every episode uh, is special, but this one is yes, very special. It's very special. So I'm glad you, this is, I'm glad you, you added the very. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the Jashir Hardnet uh, midseason transfer episode. <laughs> uh, so for those, just to catch folks up on kind of where we are, um, just it, it has broken. I guess can we take credit for breaking this story, Robbie? I think we were the first ones to report it with uh, actual sourcing. Yeah, we were the first ones to actually report it, put it on the interwebs, like you said, with actual sourcing. Cool. So. As Vanquish the Foe exclusively revealed this evening, that feels really cool to say, <laughs> um, as Vanquish the Foe, and particularly uh, Robert and myself, uh, have uh, revealed exclusively this evening, uh, Jashir Hardnet is leaving the BYU uh, men's basketball team. Uh, this one, I guess, to those close to the program, sources that Robbie and I have spoken with, is not a huge surprise, uh, I guess, uh, Jashir has been unhappy uh, and frustrated with his role on the team for some time, particularly uh, since Nick Emery came back in early December and kind of forced him to to split his minutes. And obviously, we saw Jashir continue to start and still play a pretty significant role up until about, you know, in the past week or so um, when he was taken out of the starting lineup in favor of uh, McKay Cannon. This BYU continued to struggle. Um, but he has been increasingly frustrated for a long for a long time. Um, and you know, I, our, my sources have said that he, his plan was ultimately to graduate in April, uh, and do a graduate transfer to another, uh, university, probably somewhere closer to his home in Mississippi. But it seems like, uh, something over the weekend kind of boiled over, um, and some tensions boiled over and, and it sounds like that plan may, may or may not be tenable anymore, but he is no longer, uh, with the basketball program as of today, um, that timing may be strategic, seeing as this is the first day of classes for BYU in the winter semester. Um, so if he pulls out today before the start of that um, of those winter classes, uh, he may be able to preserve some eligibility, kind of like a Matt Carlino situation where he became uh, eligible halfway through uh, halfway through the season at his new school, which was BYU back then. Um, but uh, that's kind of where we are. Robbie, anything else that, that you'd add to get everyone up to speed on kind of where things are with the Jashir situation? Yeah, um, I guess I'll add some context to it just to give. I mean, it, obviously, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast is very familiar with BYU basketball. But I mean, getting Jashir to BYU in the first place almost required the perfect storm. Um, so just to kind of rewind back about a year and a half ago when he 
ultimately came to BYU. So uh, when he, he went to, he started at Fordham, which is a school. Uh, what state is that in back east, Steve? I know you're more familiar. Fordham with the, is in the Bronx, New York. Okay. Yep. So New York he, City. He went his freshman year to Fordham, didn't play redshirted. That's the Division One school. And then he ultimately went to Chipola College in Florida. And that's kind of where he got on BYU's radar through Heath Schroyer. Um, he wouldn't have obviously been on BYU's radar at all just because there's no connection. But Heath Schroyer came over. Heath Schroyer knew the, the, that, that program at Chipola, recruited Jashir. And the reason BYU recruited Jashir, not only because of Schroyer, but because Nick Emery was out for the year. So BYU had a opening at guard. So there's kind of, like I said, there was that perfect storm with not only there was the opening with no Nick Emery, plus with Heath Schroyer there, that kind of brought Jashir Hardnag, a guy that grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi, out to Provo, Utah. So just kind of a guy who had no connection to BYU. It was a really cool story how he came out to BYU. Um, he played last year, did some good things, started most of the games this year, and this is what we'll kind of get into the reason why he transferred. Um, started most of the year this year until he eventually got benched after BYU's rough start in conference play. But um, yeah, just to give some context, that's the reason he came to BYU. And then I guess Steve will get into the reason why we think he transferred. Um, I mean, before we get into that, do you think to add Steve about the, just that context about Jashir getting here or before we kind of dive into the reasons why he transferred and what this means? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think I think we can just dive ahead into into kind of what the reasoning was. We obviously talked about him being frustrated with his role. Uh, my sources say Jashir really sees himself as a scorer, um, as a as primarily a scorer, and then uh, kind of secondarily as a distributor and facilitator. Whereas BYU coaches uh, really see it as the opposite; um, they see him primarily as a facilitator and distributor, and then secondarily as a scorer. So they kind of have diametrically opposed views of where he can best help the team. And that was, that was really frustrating to Jashir. It was also really frustrating to continue to have to split minutes with Nick Emery and, and Mick and Nick can, I'm sorry, Nick Emery, K cannon. Um, and things just kind of continually frayed, uh, over the last, uh, the last little while. And Jashir became increasingly frustrated. Um, even, even, you know, getting into kind of some butting of heads with, with different members of the team. Um, and ultimately, uh, I guess I'm, I'm not sure the exact reason uh, of, of what kind of what straw broke the camel's back over these last, uh, you know, couple of days. He, he only played five minutes um, against St. Mary's. Uh, you saw if you were kind of an eagle eyed viewer, some confrontation uh, between him and Coach Rose on the bench where Jashir was pretty vocal about uh, voicing his, his displeasure. Um, but something that happened in these last, uh, you know, week or two um maybe it was it was being taken out of the starting lineup seems to have kind of accelerated his plans to to leave BYU which were pretty well uh entrenched uh going back a while yeah and just to add on to that I, I mean I I heard some rumblings bef- even before the season started that Shear was maybe cont- contemplating leaving um if you kind of go back to last year if you remember BYU also signed Kajon Brown who's from New Orleans so him and him and uh, Kajon and Jashir were roommates and Kajon transferred midseason. That was probably Jashir's best friend at BYU. So I know that was hard at Jashir last year to kind of someone just to kind of experience the same thing. Someone that came to BYU from the South had next to no, um, any, knew anything about the LDS church. So that hurt Jashir when Kajon left. And then once Heath Schroyer left that Jashir, I think, really was close to Heath Schroyer. Heath Schroyer really liked Jashir, how he fit into his system. So when Schroyer left, I think that kind of gave Jashir, not like with basketball-wise, but also culture-wise, some reasons to leave BYU. 
But going into recently, you mentioned that he was just barely benched starting the Pacific game. He had a good game there, had 17 points. But the St. Mary's... That, won the game for him yeah, down the stretch he did. He with its free throws. Yeah, he was clutch awesome in the second half. But I mean, like I said, he already had some inclinations to possibly transfer, but it was the St. Mary's game, which was the nail in the coffin, coffin. to kind of go off what you said, Steve, about the confrontation that he had on the bench with coaches. Um, I talked to one source, so that kind of what blew blew everything over. So Jashir played five minutes in that game. He, he played a little bit, he struggled a little bit, which happens, guys struggle. Then he went on the bench, he kind of had a yelling match a little bit with Coach Rose. And then Coach Rose told him, shut up and sit down. And then Jashir didn't come in the rest of the game. So obviously, I mean, that... Seems tense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> tense to say the least. So I th- that definitely did not set well with Jashir. And then I was kind of projecting a little bit. So that's what we know happened. And then obviously that didn't sit well with Jashir. So kind of putting that that toxic relationship he was having with coaches a little bit, just they didn't see the same way, have how they're playing style. He's having a little bit of a rift with TJ, with Nick, and then just with his playing time, he got benched. I mean, he was only playing five minutes in the last game. Combined all of that with his rift with the coaches, just kind of struggling in Provo, which is understandable for Jashir with his background coming into a place like Provo, which can be hard even for members of the church. And then just recently that his role in the basketball team combined all of those, I think, which ultimately uh, influenced his decision to transfer. So, yeah. I mean... What this means for the team, Steve, I mean, BYU is 9-8 right now. Um, it's a question if BYU will even make it to the CBI at this point. But do you have anything to add to the transfer itself, Steve, before we kind of move on to what this means, not only for this team, but the program as a whole? Yeah, I think I think we've covered everything kind of how we got to this point. I guess before we move on to, you know, what does this mean for the program? What does this mean for this season? Um, I want to just take a, a, a brief moment and memorialize Jashir yeah. Hardnett in in happier times because sure. this is obviously an acrimonious uh, departure, but this is also a player who brought who gave BYU a really good season and a half and contributed a lot. So you know, give us the give us the the, the memorial for for Jashir Hardnett, uh, Robbie. What is what did what did Jashir, Jashir bring to the team? Um, what did he mean to the team when he was here? And do you have you know a favorite moment that really stands out um, from Jashir's time at BYU? Yeah, well, I'll start first with my favorite moment from Jashir. So it happened last year, which would have been Jashir's sophomore season, his first year at BYU. If you remember, Steve, that UMass game, that non-conference game, BYU went back. It was a neutral site game back east somewhere. I can't. Do you remember what court that was? That game last year was it? Yeah, it was the tournament in Brooklyn. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if that was the game they played at at the Nets Arena or if it was the one where they played at that other arena. But and, uh, I think it was the it was the one at the was the uh, one the, the Barclays Center. Yeah, it was at the Barclays yeah. Center. And that game, um, this is early in the non-conference season where we were still kind of new to Jashir, kind of his playing style, what he would bring to BYU. BYU was down a lot in that game. They came back late, and there was tie game with under with the last possession. And Jashir had the ball. He brought the ball up, drove to the basket, and made a really nice move, forced the double team, and then dished it off. To, I think it was Yoli Childs for the game-winning dunk. To me, that's what I remember. That was a really exciting moment that Jashir, he really created that plate in order to come with the, for BYU to pull out that comeback win against UMass. So that's one moment that really stands out to me. And then just his playing style as a whole, um, he obviously had his ups and downs. He had his consistency, his inconsistencies. 
but um, he was a guy that could get to the hoop, even though he could only get there with his left hand. Um, he often, <laughs> and oftentimes he was blocked a lot. But I mean, that says, I mean, a lot of BYU guys can't even get to the rim. So, I mean, he'd have his chance. He had his moments where, you know, he'd get to the rim, he'd finish. He had, he was pretty quick. So, I mean, and to this team, this team just doesn't have a lot of depth. So even if he's not a starter, he definitely is a rotation piece talent wise for this team. So BYU would have to find a way to plug in that gap with him and just, uh, okay. I'll, then I'll get into more macro things, Steve, but what are some of your favorite just your memories? I mean, my favorite just sheer memory, I'm, I have a serious recency bias, uh, is is him making all those free throws to beat Pacific so we could finally win on the road <laughs> this year. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jashir, I always remember Jashir as being somebody who brought something very different uh, to the BYU basketball team uh, than anyone else really could uh, these last couple of years. And that's not just because... You know, he's of the things that are obvious. He's a non-LDS kid. He's an African American kid from the South, not a you know white Mormon kid from Utah, like pretty much everyone else is, or from <laughs> at least from the Inner Mountain West. Um, so th- that was unique and in, in and of itself. But I think that uh, his game was was totally unique, as you kind of alluded to as well. Uh, nobody BYU has always struggled. Uh, with having enough guys who can beat their defender off the dribble and create their shot, uh, Jashir could beat his defender off the drill. He had a quick first step. He could get into the paint and either um, finish for finish for himself, you know, maybe only with his left hand, but or create for others. And I thought that was something really unique. That is something different uh, for BYU. I think his his limitation, and which I think ultimately, um, I think maybe ends up coloring how the how the coaches see him and, and would have maybe continued to limit his playing time moving forward is the fact that he just, he just wasn't a reliable shooter. Um, and I, mm. I actually got a little, I'd get a little nervous, uh, sometimes when he would, he would shoot a lot, uh, from the outside. He was really good if you get him into the paint, but the, the outside jump shot, um, you know, wasn't there as consistently as, as I'm sure he would like to see, or as anyone would like to see. Then again, that's probably true for every single player on yeah, this BYU basketball team, which is, <laughs> yeah, which has struggled so much from three this year. Um, but I just, I'll just always remember Jashir as, as being a guy who was a real change of pace, not just for, for this BYU team, but just in the, in the BYU program generally, I think he's, what he brought to the table was, was unique and, and something BYU, um, might miss uh, going forward, might miss having that quickness both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, which I guess kind of segues nicely into into talking about kind of what does Jashir's exit, what is not having Jashir, you know, thinking just about you know, this season, you know, and, you know, this Jashir was a junior. He had this year and next year left. Um, him not being here, what does that, what does that mean immediately uh, for BYU? And then we'll talk about what his exit kind of means for the program generally and what it says about where we are in a second. But just thinking about this season, how does, does this change your expectations? How does this affect this team uh, that we're watching right now, Robbie? Yes. I'll give two spins on it. I'll start with the, I guess the more negative spin, if you want to term it that way, and then maybe the more positive spin. So first kind of, I guess the negative spin, we saw that Pacific game, what Chishir's role I think could have been moving forward in the season as someone coming off the bench, as we saw in that Pacific game, that BYU had a lot of struggles with starters just outside of the first 10, 10 minutes or so of the game. But the last 30 minutes, again, BYU just really struggling, getting the ball at the basket, um, the free throw line, three-point, wherever. But Shear was that guy that guy on the bench. They 
came off the bench and hit some really, he just got to the line and he made, he made free throws too. So BYU doesn't have many, if any guys off the bench outside of Nick Emery that could have the potential, at least, even if it's not a night in night out thing for just sheer hard net, but at least the threat of coming off the bench and, putting up 15 points. Cause I mean, Jashir, he's the third leading scorer on the team. He's one of three guys to average double digits. So, I mean, with the BYU is that's a good amount of scoring and granted a lot of that scoring was against subpar teams, but still he's, is BYU's third leading scorer. So the facts with, with the facts say BYU will have to replace its third leading scorer, which is during the middle of the season, which will be a task, maybe not very tall task, but it is something. Um, as far as maybe a positive spin, I think part of the reason, you know, all the reason, part of the reason coaches benched him is to give the ball more in TJ Haas's hands full time, which I think if BYU is to get better and to maybe reach its potential of what we think BYU should be, it's something that needs to happen. TJ Haas needs to be the man, the guy that's creating off the dribble, the guy that's facilitating the basketball, passing it, getting to the basket, shooting. TJ needs to have the ball in his hands a lot more than he already has. And sure, harden it for some of the good things he bought, he brought just with the the position he plays, there was a lot of overlap with TJ and he took the ball out of TJ hand, TJ's hands a lot. So that is, if you want to spin it to maybe something that, could be something good for me. I mean, I like I like Jashir, and I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing for the program. But I mean, TJ will have the ball in his hands a lot more, and TJ he's playing at the first team All WCC type player. So I am excited to see that how that will be with even a more TJ Haas and Yoli Child centric offense. So with the team, Steve, that's the two ways I see it: the kind of the negative spin and the more positive spin. Do you have anything else to that? What do you what we can expect from this season without possibly without Jashir going forward? Yeah, I think that was that was a good summation. I do think it it forces you to rely a lot more on TJ Haas, obviously, and that you know that can be a good thing, as with your optimistic uh, your optimistic version, uh, where he is really unleashed and he feels the full weight of that responsibility and he responds to it um, and just goes out and keeps killing killing guys like he has uh, you know the last couple of weeks he's been very good. Uh, the dark side of that is that. TJ has been a little bit trick or treat, uh, both this year and last year is he's, he's not always been consistent in producing. And so the question is if TJ is having an off night and TJ's not producing, uh, the way he has sometimes done, he just kind of disappears for a game. Uh, who picks up that slack? You now have one less guy who you can rely on to pick up that slack. It's been Jashir at times in the past. You still have Nick floating around, but Nick is still just now kind of coming into his own, probably at his best game since coming back uh, against uh, against St. Mary's, and we lost by 22 points. Um, <laughs> so it's a real challenge. I think that's the big challenge of Jashir not being here is just it's the depth, right? Yeah. I'm not going to say that Jashir Hardnet is you know necessarily a Division One you know, a top division one caliber starting point guard, but to share Hardnett is very clearly a division one player. Right. And that's oh, yeah. not always been clear for everybody in BYU's rotation. Uh, it's seen BYU has really struggled to find guys who can put in quality minutes at this level right now. Um, and to lose one of the very few guys, like you said, maybe your third or fourth best player, um, who has shown that they can do that and has shown they can rise to the occasion and put in quality minutes at this level. Um, 
that's a de- that's a detraction. You can say, you know, maybe you know, maybe had the bad attitude, and maybe it's a addition by subtraction from removing the bad juju, and maybe that's true, and you know, maybe that turns out to be the case. But it's just from a basketball perspective, and just the pure math, it's just very hard to replace that production, to replace those minutes when you haven't had pretty much anybody who's shown that they can step up and fill in. Uh, in the same way. So this puts an incredible amount of pressure on TJ Haas, who's going to have to play more minutes, he's going to have to stay on the floor and not foul. He's going to have to not take nights off. It also puts an incredible amount of pressure on Nick Emery, right? Because he has to be ready to go now. Yep. He can't, he can't, you know, kind of dawdle along uh, in his coming back and getting back up to speed. It's go time now. And if Nick doesn't, if Nick doesn't come to play, I don't know who does. If it's, it's Yoli, TJ and Nick more than it ever was before. And past that, I mean, this is what we saw against, against St. Mary's, you know, when, when Shear only played five minutes, there was only three guys who really scored. It was Yoli at 21 and TJ at 20 and Nick had 13. And past that, I think the next leading score was, you know, Connor Harding with five and, and Gavin Baxter with four. I mean, there was no, nobody else. Yeah. And if I could throw one name into that, you just mentioned him, Connor Harding. Um, I think when we talked about it before in past podcasts, that this is maybe a season where you kind of need to put more in the young guys. I think Connor Harding, he's one of those guys off his mission this past summer. He's one of those guys that's probably played maybe a few more minutes than probably he should be this fresh off his mission. But this is kind of put a little, even more on his shoulders to hopefully either accelerate his development or maybe have him sink down even more. Cause we definitely seen that those glimpses of Connor Harding. So, I mean, to guess, I guess to give one more positive spin, not that I'm saying just you're leaving is a positive spin, but it, it puts more, a lot more load on a young guy like Connor Harding, who's one of the two, three pieces that is the future of BYU basketball. So, I mean, that's yeah. one more thought I had when you were talking. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, reality is, and I was thinking about this after kind of the week BYU had, had a a win at Pacific, which was the first road win of the season, which is good, but also they looked like absolute crap the second half. And then they looked totally outclassed against a very average St. Mary's team on the road on Saturday. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I keep going back to the point I made, I think it was last week when we kind of discussed the broader state of the program. This is not a team that is making the NCAA tournament. This may not even be a team that's making the NIT or even the CBI. With Jashir leaving, it really seals that, right? You're taking out a, a, a really key cog in the middle of the year. This is not a team that is going anywhere fast. This is an opportunity for Coach Rose to kind of step back and to you know, in my opinion, survey what's around him, say, you know, this year is not our year. Let's build for the future. Let's look towards next year. Who do we need to invest in? Who do we need to get minutes so they can develop? We need to get minutes and experience for Connor Harding. We need to get minutes and experience for Gavin Baxter. We need to get minutes and experience for Colby Lee. We need to figure out if Rylan Bergerson's actually going to be able to do what we need him to do and be a serviceable player at this level at a, on a consistent basis. There's a bunch of guys who are, you know, freshmen and sophomores who at this point, the team, this is not, the season is not going anywhere, you know, deeply respect, all, all respect to Yoli Childs, who's trying to drag this team with everything that he has, but it's just not going to happen. Um, so let Yoli play the way Yoli needs to play in order to maximize his chances to get to the next level. And then, you know, look towards next season and, and invest in next season starting now uh, and use the rest of conference play and the conference tournament to really build that experience. Cause I think that's a great point. Um, guys like Connor, Gavin, Colby, whoever else, uh, they need those reps, which I guess kind of gets to the, the last thing we want to talk about was, you know, we talked about what sheer leaving means for, uh, 
means for this season, but kind of what does this say about the program? This is like you mentioned with Kajon Brown. This is the second consecutive uh, year that BYU has had a midseason transfer. Um, and so what does, I mean, does this concern us? Is this, a, does this change kind of what we talked about last week about the state of the program at all? Does it reinforce anything that we talked about? I'll tell you the one thing that I'm really concerned about kind of for moving forward is this is what the fourth uh, non-LDS African-American player we've had transfer uh, from BYU under not great, you know, not great terms. Um, yeah. And so that's that's an incredibly problematic uh, pattern for BYU. I'm not saying that what I'm not I'm not saying that you know Coach Rose is racist or anything like that. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the pattern that we're showing. There's four consecutive non-LDS African American athletes who have transferred out of the BYU basketball program in the last few years. That does not a send a good message to future recruits who may be non-LDS and or African American, and b Historically, it play it plays into a lot of misperceptions that are held of BYU historically as an institution and have been used to recruit against BYU by other schools, uh, particularly when we try and recruit non-LDS athletes and African-American athletes. That this isn't a place for you, that you're not welcome, you're not going to be happy there, you're going to be, you know, the odd man out. They're never going to accept you. They're going to favor, you know, the the Mormon kids. They're going to favor the white kids, the kids from Utah, um, and that becomes a real problem. Whether or not irrespective of how long Dave Rose stays at the program, um, whoever the next coach is, whatever happens, that's a real problem. It's a problem for football too. It's a problem for all sports at BYU if that uh, that continues to be reinforced. That's my biggest concern. What, what, what do you kind of see from this uh, about the program as a whole, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, like you said, if you go off the last three guys that transferred out, that fit the criteria of not a member of the church, African-American, uh, Kajon Brown transferred mid-year last year and before that you had... Frank Bartley and then Jamal Ates, who grad transferred. So granted, that's a little bit different situation. So like you said, it's not to say Dave Rose is racist or anything, but I mean, oftentimes, whether it's the reality or the perception, but perception is greater than reality. I mean, if you go on the recruiting chill, no doubt opposing coaches are going to say to BYU's recruiting, they're recruiting against someone that BYU is a non-LDS African-American player. Like, hey, like the last four guys that fit this mold that went to BYU, they left the program. Why would you want to go there? So whether the reality or the perception, the percept, that's the perception going to be for opposing coaches and for players coming to BYU. So whether you believe, whether your perceptions are regarding, regarding this, I mean, that's going to be the perception going in from those players into BYU. And then um, also for the program as a whole, where this leaves BYU, I mean, the easy thing will to do and maybe rightfully so I'm before I get into it um guys people are people are going to bang on Dave Rose because it, it's just kind of like the snowball effect I and mean, people are really down on the BYU basketball program right now I mean I'm really down you're really down the BYU basketball program we discussed it very in depth last week so people are automatically just going to put this on Dave Rose and say oh Dave Rose is a horrible coach this is another reason he's going to get fired and you know for me at first glance it's going to be easy to fall into that camp because I'm not necessarily a Dave Rose supporter at this point, just because I feel like the basketball program has regressed. But I want to kind of take a step back and be okay, like if you look at college basketball, even mid year transfers aren't uncommon. I mean, every college basketball program has usually multiple transfers every year. So BYU isn't any different. So, I mean, I see a lot of fans like looking into a vacuum, like, oh, another transfer for BYU. And granted, it's not great because some of these guys are doing decent at other schools, but that's the reality of college basketball. And this one is a little different though, just because I think the situation, I think there is parts of the program that are toxic. I think 
a lot of the players don't respect some of the coaches. I think, I mean, uh, there's just not good feelings to the program right now. I mean, so I think this kind of stems from that and that kind of does stem from Coach Rose. But I'm not going to, even though I don't necessarily think Coach Rose maybe is the the right guy going forward, I'm not going to automatically just dump on Coach Rose just because I have a bad, maybe not the best perception of him. So, I mean, where this keeps the program and scholarship crunch, I mean, BYU probably does have a scholarship crunch next year with guys coming off missions. I mean, this does relieve that scholarship. So it has one less tough conversation for Dave Rose or whoever the coach will be going into next season. But overall, I mean, it's not a good thing for someone like Tashir who's you really want guys in the program that aren't that don't fit the typical mold of BYU that aren't LDS that are African American because you want to have more just those you have more people at BYU just a different sort of skill sets more diversity to in the BYU experience so overall that was a lot I talked about Steve overall it's not a good thing for BYU for not only for the team this year but for the program as whole for the program as a whole it's really bad optics especially with this year just all of a sudden just did it I mean it's really poor optics and I think it does. In the end, it does reflect poorly on, on Coach Rose and where he does have the program. Yeah, and it's a real, I think it really gets back to what we talked about last week about just a disconnection between Coach Rose and and his assistants and, and these players. I think that, you know, Jashir's complaints are not, uh, not atypical of any player in college basketball. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players in college basketball who aren't playing as much as they think they should be playing or aren't playing the exact role that they think they'd be best used in. He's not unique in that regard. I think where the challenge comes is you can weather those storms and you can bring guys along a little bit better. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people who still transfer. There's hundreds of transfers every every year. Um, but you can do a little bit more to bring guys along and not have them quit on you mid-year um, if you have already already built the relationship the a relationship of trust where that player knows that they care that you care about them that you're there for them you have their best interest at heart and as we talked about last week it just seems like coach rose has been a little disconnected uh, from this team for quite a while now has stepped back from his relationships with his players um, based on everything that we've heard uh, over the last several years and those are, they're just not as strong as they used to be and so i think that gets you in trouble when you have a situation like Jashir's where you have to maybe sit down and have a hard conversation with the kid and tell him, you know, I'm not going to start you or you're not going to play as many minutes or I see your role differently than you see your role. That's when you don't have that relationship as a foundation to have that conversation, uh, that conversation can go a very different way. And the player has much less reason to believe that you are invested in him and, and want to continue to help him grow as a person and as a player um, and therefore has less reason to stay. And so I think that's why you see this happening um, again and again. I'm, you know, I, I don't know that. Uh, I, we talked about the epidemic of of kind of non LDS kids leaving the program at these transfers, particularly the last two years at mid year. Um, it's only natural that Coach Rose and the coaching staff would have stronger relationships with the kids who are more similar to them and the kids that live in their backyard and who they recruited out of their backyard in Utah County, the the Hazes and the Emerys and all the kids and 
Connor Harding out of Idaho and, and Gavin Baxter out of out of Provo. These are all kids that they watched every week in their high school games for four for four years, maybe even longer. But back to when they're in middle school, there's it's no surprise that there would be a closer relationship there. Um, and maybe those kids would be, and maybe they have closer ties to BYU as an institution just because of their religious background. Um, so they're more likely to stick it out even through the tough times. But you know, when you're bringing in a kid who doesn't have the ties to BYU, like you talked about with Jashir, um, who's coming for an opportunity to play basketball. When that opportunity to play basketball uh, diminishes and the relationship with the coaching staff isn't there, you can very clearly see why you just decide to move on to the next opportunity and find something else that is going to work for you if this isn't. Um, and so I don't necessarily fault Jashir. I obviously wish that we had him in the middle of a season, um, but I understand where, where he's coming from. And I think a lot of this comes from uh, this, a lot of this comes from the same problems we talked about last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode of this podcast, go back and listen to it. Every single bit of it is just as relevant this week as it was last week. Cause we kind of took that big picture le- lens on, on the Did, program. Just, but I think it's really yeah, instructive. Just don't listen to the, at the 42 minute mark when I somehow forgot the fight song, but every, are you going to sing it this week, Robbie? Uh, are you going to, are you going to, are you going to, are you going to redeem yourself? Uh, I did. The listeners want that. I can, or no, okay. I, I think everyone believes you. Okay. you know, it's just a brain fart, it, man. It's just a brain honest, fart. It, it really was. I, I know the fight song, people. <laughs> I, I believe you. I believe you, even you, if uh, some of our Twitter followers do not. Yes. Um, so, you know, we'll see how this turns out. There are two, there's two more games this week. BYU's finally back at home uh, against Portland uh, and, and Santa Clara after five straight games on the road against some pretty stiff competition in which they went one and four, which was... You know, maybe slightly better than I expected it to go, but but you know, it's uh, so they're back at home. My actual my actual greatest fear is that we will not learn the lesson, particularly the coaching staff will not learn the lesson of this. Um, that will win two will win two games against the worst two teams in the WCC this week at home. Um, we'll go to three and one in conference, and everyone will say, "Well, this is great. We're three and one in conference." That. Just that puts us like second behind Gonzaga in the race for the WCC championship. We really need to go for it. We need to play McKay Cannon 40 minutes a game so we can have his senior experience on the floor and we can we can win some basketball games. And then we won't make the necessary pivot to investing in next season, to investing in the young guys, to finding out what we have so that we can make decisions uh, about the future of the program and who's really going to contribute. That's my big fear for this week. And my so if my big fear is that BYU wins, that may be bad, Robbie, but that's <laughs> That's my fear. No, I hear you. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, kind of while we wrap up, um, like you said, they're the two worst teams. I and mean, Santa Clara, they have beat USC and Washington State this year. So, I mean, you never know. And both of those were on the road, but BYU should. Even with the, the state of the program, BYU should beat both of those teams. But yeah, I think BYU as a program, it's like, would you rather finish fourth and just play all your seniors? Or would you rather finish fifth and sixth? But Connor Harding... Gavin Baxter, Colby Lee, Ryland Bergerson, who are insert freshman, sophomore in there, got significant minutes this year. And going into next year, those guys are a lot prepared. I mean, that's what I want to see. I'd rather see guys like Gavin Baxter get 20 minutes, even if he's struggling, even if Colby Lee miss goes 0 of 3 from 3 or whatever. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather see, like he said, I'd rather see those guys and see a sixth place finish and a bottom seed in the CBI, then a fourth place finish and a home game, the first game of the CBI. So, I mean, I think, I hope that the lens 
changes for BYU. I hope the perspective changes. And obviously, coaches, you still want to win every game. You're not going to try to lose games, but just kind of tweak things a little bit and just tweak the rotations a little bit to give some of those younger guys more experience because ultimately, that's what's best for the program moving forward. Absolutely, sir. I'm glad we're agreed. I'm glad we're yeah. agreed on we the, need to, uh, on we need the to prescription. Disagree more. We need to fight more in this podcast, Steve. We we do agree too next, much. Let's find things to fight tune about. Tune in next week for me and Robbie yeah. yelling at each yeah. other about every also, single West thing. West Coast, Best Coast, and you're on the East Coast, and we'll fight about that. So we'll there find something to fight That's, about. Next week, we're going to fight. Um, but in the meantime, two games this week, Portland, Santa Clara. Uh, you know, hopefully BYU wins, but hopefully they also recognize the what's more important for the long-term health of the program. And I guess, uh, I guess we'll end it on that note. So come back next week. We'll have more BYU basketball discussion. Hopefully we'll be more upbeat uh, and have, uh, have some better things to report. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, stay strong out there, Cougar Nation. We're here. We're, 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 we're true blue. We're diehard. We always will be. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Go Cougars. Go Cougars.